I would say over the last maybe 10 years is when it's really kind of reached its climax. And it's the desire to be famous. Uh, and, and like I said, it's a, it's a fairly new desire that our culture is having to figure out. In a recent study of 10 to 12-year-olds, so if you have a, a student in the 10 to 12 range, their number one goal statistically, their number one desire in life was not financial security. It was not to be rich. Right? So this new generation is not struggling with the desire to be rich. It's not success or achievement. It's not even great relationships. Uh, the number one stated desire of 10 to 12-year-olds is to be famous, uh, to be broadly known, to be accepted and re- respected. Now, we're not just going to talk about 10 to 12-year-olds. If you're in the age group of 22 to 37, uh, 50% of 22 to 37-year-olds believe that their life should be made into a movie. Now you know who's laughing. It's all of us that are going to go see Avengers Endgame and not your life. So um, that, that's, but 50% of 22 to 37-year-olds believe uh, that their life is interesting enough and dramatic enough that it should be made into a movie. Um, here's a statistic for all of us in the room. Uh, did you know that one in 12 people would disown their own family to become a household name? One in 12. Um, one in nine would give up the possibility of ever being married to be known. One in six would give up having children ever in order to be famous. The number goes up depending on whose kids they're around, but um, uh, people would give up a ton uh, to, to, the, to the, this idea of being known and, and being famous. Now, um, open up your Bibles to Ephesians 1. I promise you we're going to get there eventually. I'm actually uh, not preaching on Ephesians 1. I'm going to bring it in at the very end of the sermon. The rest of it will be on the slides for you as we're going to go through a number of verses. But when we get to Ephesians 1, we'll be almost at the end of the sermon. And uh, I want you to be able to see that text. It's going to be on the screen, but if you have a Bible, you can uh, check out Ephesians 1. And I want to give you, today I want to try to give you uh, a higher calling to your life than being famous. And there's a couple uh, I, problems with the idea of being famous. If you just kind of think through this with me for the next few minutes. One is that it is completely out of your control. I had a conversation the other day with my eight-year-old. We were driving around and uh, he was singing in the back seat. I had some music playing on the radio and uh, Sam was singing in the back seat. And it's my favorite thing. Um, I love listening to him sing. And so he's in the back and uh, the, the song got done. I said, you're a really good singer, Sam. You're, you're really, really good. And he said, so this is already on his eight-year-old little mind. He said, do you think someday I could be a famous singer? And I said, well, listen, you know, I mean, first of all, who knows how to answer that question? But I said, listen, if you love to sing, I want you to sing. If you love to sing, I, 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 want you to, I want you to sing because that's how, how God gifted you and that's what you love to do. Do what you love to do. Do what you are gifted to do. Don't, I don't want him in his eight-year-old mind. I don't want you in your 40, 50, 60-year-old mind to worry about being famous. Do what you're gifted to do. Do what God has wired up to you to do. If you get famous, so be it. But don't have fame be the primary goal. It's the same thing I said uh, to my son. Just do, do what you love to do. Do what God has gifted you to do. Do what, it, do what is God honoring to be certain and let the chips fall uh, where they may. The other problem with fame is that if fame becomes the primary goal, we will start to take actions and we will start to make decisions with the chief goal of being famous no matter what. And so we'll start to do silly and ridiculous things. Has anyone heard of YouTube? 
right? That, that, that some of the videos on, on YouTube are um, so obnoxious and some of them are even dangerous and it is an effort to be noticed. It is an effort to be viral. It, it is an effort to become famous and I worry that a lot of kids are, are gonna grow up someday and go in for a job interview and they're gonna do a Google search and all of a sudden they're gonna go with a different candidate, right? Um, that, that, the, that the goal is simply to become famous at all costs. And the last problem is, it's honestly a spiritual problem, which is what we're here to discuss. I could opine on culture for a good amount of time, but we ought to talk spiritually. Um, there's a verse from uh, John the Baptist in the Bible that it goes like this, I must become less and Jesus must become more. Right? I must become less and Jesus must become more. That life works best when we are all about making Jesus known and famous. Why? Because he is equipped to be famous. He's the only one maybe that is equipped to be famous. He is perfect. He has the message of salvation that needs to be widely known. He is worthy of it. His character is truly worthy of being famous. And I think when the chief goal becomes to be famous, we've all, we've all seen this in, in our culture that many of us are just not equipped to do this very well. How many super well-adjusted famous people do you read about, right? You think about the last couple years in our culture that we've had this Me Too movement. It is a movement of what happens when very famous, powerful people get out of control, right? That a lot of us are not equipped to be famous. How many stories do you hear a year about how a celebrity behaves at a party or behaves at an award show or uh, in a restaurant or, or in public somewhere? Most of us are not very well built to be able to handle this. Some are, but many are not. There's a, a recent study that showed how much anxiety, the younger you are, the, the more this is true of you. Uh, how many studies show the amount of anxiety and depression that many Americans feel at the idea of never really being known? There's this thing on social media that I think reinforces this. It's called the notification button. And so you post ideas you post videos, you post pictures, and we all, I, I do it too, we all become obsessed with that little notification button. That are people seeing it? Are people liking it? Why doesn't anybody like me? Why aren't they responding to this photo? And it becomes an obsession uh, of, of how many likes we have gotten, and it's all in our quest to be known and listen, as we've talked about throughout this series. It is unrelenting. The desire to be known and to be famous is never fully satisfied. There's always more shares you could have gotten. There's always more success you could have had. There's always more fame. It is unrelenting. So I want to ask you a question. We'll put it on the screen for you. What if we could find our contentment and satisfaction in the idea of not that we're going to be famous, but find our satisfaction in the idea that we are known by God? So today I want to try to shift our uh, our, our culture is all about being famous and, and being known by culture. Today, I want to give you a broader and bigger vision for your life of what if you could find your satisfaction in the fact that you are known by the creator of the universe. You are known by God. And some of us would rather focus on knowing God than being known by God. And certainly, you're in church on a regular basis. A lot of you are. You, you know that we talk a lot about knowing God. We talk about knowing him in our prayer life. We talk about knowing him in the scriptures, knowing him through preaching and teaching, knowing about him in community when you're uh, conversating and learning what others have to, uh, have to share about God. We talk a lot about knowing God. We don't talk very often at all about the idea that we are known by God. 
The scriptures do. So why don't we talk about it very much there, there's, or think about it very much? I think the reason is simple, and, and here's what it is. We've bought into a lie. And a lot of you in this room have bought into this lie, and here's the lie. If God knows me, if he really knows me, he won't love me. And so we don't like to think about being known by him because it scares us. That if God really knew me, would he love me? And I can assure you that he does. If I can play armchair pastor just for a minute, I think that this whole thing, this whole insecurity about being known by God, I think it has to do with some of our problems with self-esteem. I think it has to do with our problems with loving ourselves, that outside of God, we probably know ourselves the best, that we think because of our sin and because of our mistakes and because of the choices we've made, we struggle to love ourselves. And so we think, surely, the creator of the universe, if he really knew me, would he love me? And you know what the Apostle Paul said one time? I want you to, you to allow this to absorb into your soul just for a minute. The Apostle Paul said one time, while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. In other words, Jesus sees you. He knows your sin. He knows your mistakes. He knows your failures. The Bible says he loves you anyway. He died for us anyway. Now certainly, we're gonna talk about this more in a minute, he gives us an example to follow. He forgives our sin, he gives us an example to follow, he gives us his Holy Spirit to overcome, and he does that so that we can move forward from our sin, but he does that because he loves us too. But today I wanna to try to rip away this insecurity of if he knew me, would he love me? And I can assure you he does. He sees you and he loves you. I like how Matt Chandler, a minister in Texas, said this. He said, we all believe that God is going to love some future version of me. That, that when I finally get it all together, when I finally stop the addiction, when I finally get my life and my, 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 my stuff all together, some future version of me, God will love me then. And, and that, that is biblically, you need to know that God sees you and he knows you and he loves you today the way that you are, the person that you are, even with all of your mistakes and your baggage, God loves you today. And so I don't want us to be intimidated by the idea of being known by God. And I don't want us to give into a celebrity culture of replacing culture with God. That we, God created us with this desire to be known, and so we give in to men. If just my Facebook friends could know me, if culture could know me, I don't want us to give in to that either. Today, I want us to bask in the truth of being known by God. The idea that he knows me and he sees me. And in his mind, I am famous. I'm famous to him. That I want us to bask in the idea of being known by God. And I want to show you a couple verses about this. One is Jeremiah 1.5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah was uh, a prophet in the Old Testament. He had a very interesting nickname as a preacher. Um, his nickname was, he was the weeping prophet. So you can imagine if you were inviting someone to church, and be like, oh, you're, you're gonna love my preacher, but he has this kind of weird nickname. What is it? He's the weeping preacher. I'm not sure I want to go to your church, right? <laughs> right? He, he's the weeping preacher, right? And, and Jeremiah, uh, he, he was very emotional. If you, if you read the book of Jeremiah, you'll see that. He came into Israel's history at a time of idolatry, violence, and sin. 
And he came to warn Israel that if they didn't change their ways, they would be taken into captivity, which is exactly what happened. He was a prophet, a preacher, and he was the the, the nation of Israel. He was their kind of prophet until they were taken into captivity. And here's the lesson that Jeremiah learned. He was formed together by God in in his mother's womb for a specific purpose. His emotion, Jeremiah learned, was from God. His courage, right? You can imagine coming into a nation that is full of idolatry and sin, and it's your job. Go in there and tell them they're they're being wrong. That takes courage. His courage was from God. His ability to preach and proclaim a message was from God. God formed him together with emotion and talent and ability. God formed him together in his mother's womb for a specific time and for a specific reason. And we tend to think about verses like Jeremiah. Here's Psalm 139 and, and verses like this. It says, for I formed you in my, uh, my, inmost, in my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. We tend to think about these verses as promoting the sanctity of life, and listen, they do. Um, I I am pro-life, and I I think that these verses also, in addition to being pro-life, they also teach us about the sanctity of life, that when you uh, come across people in your day-to-day life, these are verses that teach us that we ought to treat every person with respect. So the next time someone on Facebook gets under your skin, the next time someone in traffic really ticks you off, the next time a family member says something that drive you, drives you nuts, remember, just like you, they were knit together in their mother's womb for a specific time and a specific place and a specific purpose. They are loved by God. He is made by them. This is also the sanctity of life position. Sometimes I think it is easier maybe to hold a placard that says pro-life than it is to just treat people with dignity day to day but both are the sanctity of life position. But in addition to that, I think these verses are teaching something else. Certainly they're teaching about the value and sanctity of life, but they are also teaching about the sanctity of purpose. See, this isn't just true for Jeremiah. This isn't just true for David. This isn't just true for the authors of the Old Testament or the New. This is true for you. You have been knit together. God gave you a personality God gave you gifts and abilities. God gave you passion. He knit you together in your mother's womb for a specific time and a specific purpose. I used this illustration last week, but obviously I felt kind of prone to basketball, not ballet, right? For a very specific reason, right? That God kind of knit me together in that way. I am wired up a certain way and you, th- and you are too. You think your personality was just an accident? You think your passion was just an accident? You think your gifts and abilities are just an accident? No, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And God knows you. And he put those things inside of you for a reason. Your kids need your personality. Your your coworkers need your abilities. The kingdom needs your voice. God put you and placed you where you are for a reason. And it's in this, this is very much tied to being known by God, that he knit you and he knows you better than anyone. And he says, I have a plan and I have a purpose for your life. Let me show you another one. Romans eight twenty nine. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. 
So the first idea is that because God knows you, he has a purpose for you. The second idea from Paul in Romans is the, the idea of sanctification. That because God knows us and because God sees us, he is changing us lovingly from the inside out, right? Now, now this kind of answers the elephant in the room. What about when I am known by God? What about this idea that God knows my sin? and he sees my sin, and he sees my shortcomings. What about that, Steve? And he says, man, God loves you so much that he comes in, he forgives your sin, and then he gives you his Holy Spirit in order to change you from the inside out. We believe God's knowledge of us is gonna lead to God's hatred of us. No, God's knowledge of us leads to a deep love for us. He sees our shortcomings. He sees our sins. He says, I want to help you overcome that. that. That's not my best for you. That's not your best for you. I want to help you overcome this thing so that you can live the life you were created to live. It is a love that loves me where I am, but also a love that moves me forward from where I am. Right? And both those things are important. Love me where I am, but a love that moves me forward from where I am. And God says, man, I see you. I see your sin, I see your gifts, I see your sin. And because I see your sin, I don't love you any less. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna empower you and help you and give you an example so that you can move forward from that thing that's holding you back and live the life you were created to live. That, my friends, is good news. Knowledge results in good things. When uh, Sam was four, we decided to take him to Disney World and it was his first time there and we were trying to describe it to him you know, and, and offer him a, a context for what it was, but it's hard for someone that's never been there before. And we arrived, and after like day one, he was an instant fan. Knowledge leads to good things. Every once in a while in, around here, I'll mention like a dessert that I had at a restaurant. I say, man, I'll never lead you astray on Jesus or food, right? And, and this is like one of the greatest desserts I've ever had. And every once in a while, somebody will go and like get it, and they'll come back and they'll have this big cheesy grin on their face that like, you sold that thing short. That, that, that thing was in, incredible, right? Knowledge leads to good things. Um, w- when you end up having kids, the first time you have kids, a lot of times you'll read everything that you can and find all the books that you can and all the classes that you can, but there's something about actually having the child uh, in your possession that, that, is, that is a good thing. It is a sleep-deprived thing. It is a tiring thing, but it's the best tired in the world. Um, knowledge leads to good things. We think God's knowledge of us is gonna lead to bad things. It's not true. Being known by God is awesome. And because he knows you, he knows the plans he has for you. So we we wanna listen to him on that. And because he knows you, he sees the areas where we are weak and fall short and sin, and he offers his help to help us overcome. I love the way that this text says it. It says, those he foreknew, God foreknew you, Those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. God is essentially saying, I've got plans for this daughter of mine. I've got plans for this son of mine, and I know them. I know what they're capable of. I I know what they can do. I'm going to provide my Holy Spirit to them, and I am going to transform them in the likeness of my son Jesus, which is awesome because I want to be more like Jesus, and I know you do too. I want more of his grace. 
more of his compassion, more of his conviction, more of his holiness. I want to be like him. And God says, that's, what I, that's my plan for you as well, as my daughter, as my son. That's my plan for you. I want to help you become the person you were created to be. And it's interesting that a lot of this knowing th- stuff, God knowing, being known by God and, and God knowing us, a lot of it in the New Testament especially is tied to the family language of the Bible, which makes a lot of sense because uh, in a healthy family environment, who knows you better than family? So I want to try to uh, use some family language here. And always remember, we're talking about uh, good, healthy environments, uh, family environments. I know that's not everyone's background, but if you'll just follow the illustration uh, through with me, I want to talk through about God knowing us as our, he's our father and we're his children, God knowing us and what that means for us. All right, here's number one. Because God knows us and is our father, gifts from family are always going to be better. Family should know your interests well. They should know your hobbies. They should know your wants and your wishes. And they should give you good gifts as the result of that. Right? Now, children make it easy, right? We're back in a day and age where like catalogs are coming and every day I come home, there's a new catalog at my house with stuff starred and X'd and yeah, you know, get this, don't get this. So children really try to make this easy on you that you wanna know my wants and wishes? I'm happy to share them, dad. You know, I'm happy to share them. And so, but, but families should know these wants and these desires and give good gifts as the result of it. God's the same way because he knows us He's able to give us good gifts. And when you think about the gifts that God gives you, the grace, the help, the power, the purpose, but even the day-to-day gifts that God sometimes gives, uh, when, when you're going through a hard day and you just get like a piece of encouragement, gift from God, financial help, um, uh, uh, experiences that come out of the blue, all of those are going to be better because you're known by God. And God's a gift giver. And because he knows you, he knows how to give good gifts. This is what Jesus said. He said, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? He's teaching this very thing. He said, because you're known by God, God knows how to give you good gifts. Here's the second one. Discipline is going to make more sense and be more effective. Because we're known by God, because he's a good father and he knows his children, discipline is going to make more sense and be more effective. We know how to discipline our children. That's why I discipline mine and not yours, right? You'd be really offended if I started disciplining your kids. Wait wait, wait, these are my kids. I will discipline them and I discipline mine. We know how to do this well. We know the tone to use. Right? I know how to burrow into my children's soul and how to use their middle name appropriately. Samuel Stephen Higgs. Lila Grace. Right? And it's actually not very effective. I realize now, I, I realize that now speaking to the microphone, I'm like not terrifying at all. But anyway, um, we know how to do this, right? We know how to communicate with them effectively. We know how to, um, we, we know how to bring about good di- discipline. And the truth is that sometimes God needs to bring discipline to us in order to conform us into the likeness of Jesus. And because he knows us, and because he loves us, because he's our father, he knows how to discipline us well. He knows the best way to do this. He knows the kindest way to do it. He disciplines us well. 
And so, you know, God's not going to use, my wife has said a number of times, God's not going to use a rock when a pebble will do. Right, that sort of a thing. God is going to bring about good discipline to His children because He knows what we need. He He knows uh, how to communicate with us. He He knows how to discipline us. And the last thing is, blessing is going to be abundant. Um, knowledge of someone allows us to bless them more effectively. Now, blessing is different than gift giving. All right, gift giving tends to be. Uh, in the moment that you want this, you need this, you desire it, whatever the case may be, I, I, can, I can do this right now. I can provide this gift for you. Blessing, biblically, is more about setting someone up, setting someone up for a better future. And so sometimes the Bible describes this as economically, that someone leaves you an inheritance, it is setting you up for a better future. Sometimes it's described verbally, that we're speaking life into each other to try to change their future. Um, hopefully your parents did that for you or you're doing that for your kids, that I'm breathing life into them verbally so that they can have a better future um, uh, ahead of them. This can be done with time, that you're spending time with your kids or your grandkids and you're putting yourself in a position to have influence later on, that good parents uh, know their children, they know what they need, and they know how to bless them. They know how to set them up for a better future, and this is what I want you to know. God has a really good future in store for you. He knows you. He, he knows what you need. He, he knows what the future holds, and he stands here today to say, I have a future for, for you. I have a future for you. I, I know what's ahead. I know what's coming. I have a future for you, and I need you to trust me. I need you to lean on me. I need you to follow me. So now we've arrived at Ephesians, and now with all of that kind of context, I want you to hear this scripture, one of my favorite scriptures about, about God toward his creation. Um, here it is, verse three. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, is blessed, who blesses us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one that he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the, time, uh, uh, when the times reach their, uh, reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven, on earth, under Christ. In him we also were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with his purpose and his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included with Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of salvation. When you believed, you were marked with him, uh, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are in God's possession to the praise of his glory. He knows you. He knows you. And it's a really good thing that because he knows you, he has a plan for you. Because he knows you, he knows how to change you from the inside out, and he knows the areas that, that need to be changed. 
and he has a future for you. He has future plans for you, but we have to lean on him. To receive this, we have to lean on him. We have to trust him. We have to come out of hiding. There's an interesting story in the book of Genesis that we're gonna be studying the first uh, quarter of next year, Genesis one through 11, and we'll be in this story. Um, where the first man and the first woman, they're in the garden with God, everything's perfect, everything's good, and they decide uh, to take a bite of the forbidden fruit. God told them not to eat this fruit, they did. Um, And the very first thing that we're told, the very first reaction that they had was to hide from God. They said, we've got to hide. If he knows, it's not going to be good. We, We need to hide. And what we learn way later in scripture, way later, is that we learn that before the creation of the world, God knew what he was gonna do about our sin problem. God had a plan all along, so there's no reason to hide. There's no reason to try to not be known, to try to conceal, to cover up. It is better to come into the light and to allow his grace to forgive us, to allow his spirit to empower us, and to trust that he has a better future in store for me. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace. I know that there are a lot of us that the idea of being known by you is a little bit terrifying to us because we believe a lie that if you know us, you won't love us. And so we conceal, we hide, just like Adam and Eve did. Today, empowered by your grace, may we step out of our hiding and just enjoy the idea that we are known by you. That you have a plan for us. That plan includes making us more like Jesus. So sometimes we're disciplined and uh, other times we're empowered to overcome and whatever that looks like, we want to be more like Jesus. And we stand assured that you have a better future for us. And so today we step out of our hiding. We step into the truth of you and understanding that your grace covers all and your power helps us to overcome. We thank you for Jesus and his resurrection and his death, burial, and resurrection. It is in his name we pray, amen.